welcome back, dear listener, to yet another episode of the Fruit the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod here in the UAE, and with me back in Melbourne, Victoria, it is Eleni Thomas. How the heck are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be back on this podcast and talking about some some interesting games of football we saw, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. We are absolutely happy to have you. This episode, dear listener, will review the two semifinals that we had, Richmond's win over St. Kilda and Geelong's win against Collingwood, what went well for the winners and what went poorly for the losers. We will then be previewing in the next section the prelims, the tantalizing prelim matchups that we have in store. Hopefully, there'll be better games than the semifinals. That's all I'm going to say. Although, before we start, I just, I've been telling some of my football supporting friends this. I'm, I'm perfectly happy if 2020 ends up being a reverse of 2019 in terms of, in 2019, we had two great prelim finals. The two prelim finals were like two of the, the games of the year. And then the grand final was awful. So I don't know about you, Eleni, but I'm perfectly happy with having two horrible one-sided prelim finals if it means we get one great grand final. What do you think? Oh, Which one do you prefer? No, I agree. I mean, I mean, I would argue that the prelims... I mean, they were great games, obviously, but last year I was a bit upset given that the Pies <laughs> lost to JWS. Um, so yeah, I think that it would be nice, especially considering how crazy this season has been. If we got a cracking grand final, that would be nice for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this season has been so even. It, it deserves a top of the line grand final. It deserves a top shelf grand final, as Dennis Committee called the 2012 grand final. It deserves a top shelf grand final. But we're not quite there yet. Yet to find out who's going to be in it before we discuss who we think is going to be in it. Semi-final weekend. We'll start off with Friday night's game between Richmond and St. Kilda. Richmond won pretty comfortably. St. Kilda inaccurate kicking. But nevertheless, the Tigers kept them at arm's length or paws length. No, still arms. Arm's length for the entire night. Uh, Eleni, I'll start. Um, I was going to say I'll start with you. There's no one else here. Um, I'll start uh, by asking you what went well for Richmond? Why did they win by as much as they did? Um, well, I think firstly, I, we, we predicted this. We did, we did say mm. last week that we thought they were going to get the win. Um, but what actually surprised me about this game was that I didn't really rate St Kilda at all going into this. But I think that the game could have potentially been theirs looking at the play. They had a lot of the play the whole match. Um, it's like you said just then, it was the, the kicking that let them down and I think the inexperience. Um, but I think a big thing for Richmond was probably Tom Lynch. Um, I believe he had two goals, five behinds, I think maybe. Um, mm. And so, you know, a bit of inaccurate kicking, but still his presence is always so huge on the field for Richmond. Having that big option, it sort of gives everyone else the chance to you know, move around with the ball, seeing as, um, you know, defenders are typically watching him and marking him. Um, so I think that it was the experience for Richmond. You know, obviously, they're a very um, tried and tested finals team. 
what I will say is I did notice, again, as they've been getting a lot of talk about the um, lack of discipline, I do think it was there again against St Kilda. Um, and so I think later when we sort of preview the, the next games, I'll be mentioning that as something that I think will be a detriment to them. Uh, but I mean, they're a well-oiled machine at the end of the day. And I think that's all. I don't think that they played fantastically. I think St Kilda had um, a lot of the play. They were moving the ball really well. But I think at the end of the day, it was just experience that really got them over the line in this one. What about you? What was your sort of take on the game? I agree with you that Tom Lynch had a massive role to play in how well Ty- uh, the Tigers played. You know, just to contrast the week before when he wasn't playing to this game, the, the, the difference he makes to Richmond is absolutely huge. I'm just also uh, looking at the stats to see if anything else jumps out at me. Once, yeah, I think Richmond as well, uh, they are an incredibly accurate goal-kicking team, you know, 12-8, and people might say, oh, that's not great accuracy. But in a season filled with teams that can't kick straight, it's going to be the teams that kick straight that are going to win more often than not, right? More often than not, they're going to win straight. They're going to win if they kick straight, excuse me. Uh, They won clearances. They dominated center clearances. I'm looking at this statistic here. 15 center clearances, Richmond. Five center clearances, St. Kilda. That is gargantuan indifference. And when you have a midfield dominated by the likes of Trent Conchin, Dustin Martin, Dion Prestia, servicing a forward line with Jack Rewalt, Daniel Rioli, and uh, Tom Lynch, with that type of service from the middle, I think that for me, I don't even need to look at the rest of the stats, that for me is the major difference. You can't yeah, no. stop, you, you can't allow them to, to do that. That's a whitewash in the middle. A hundred percent. And I think that's where, you know, the, the Paddy Ryder injury, I think definitely can be a contributing factor to that. You know, Richmond have a dominating midfield. There's no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, St. Kilda not being able to play their sort of um, veteran ruckman in such a big game definitely contributes to that because, um you know, going up an experienced Richmond midfield side, you sort of need that dominating force in the centre so that your younger midfielders can get close to the ball and obviously not having him in the team um, ended up having a big consequence in the midfield, like you said, in the clearances. That's an insane stat. Um, So, yeah, unfortunate for sure. Unfortunate. Unfortunate indeed. But, you know, it was realistically it was going to happen, right? You had such a premier team like Richmond up against such a young an inexperienced team when it came to finals, uh, it was probably always going to happen realistically. What do you think went wrong for the Saints, though? Uh, I think, well, like we spoke before, it was the goal kicking was just horrendous. And it wasn't, the thing that was so disappointing was that a lot of the set shots they missed weren't particularly hard set shots. You know, like it was just, I think it was nerves as well. Um, like we said, inexperienced, and they did sort of settle in that second half, the last quarter, I thought. But um, if you're not, um, you know, contributing on the scoreboard, and if the scoreboard's not reflecting the effort you're putting in, then you're really doing yourself a disservice. Um, and so I think that they contested really well. Uh, there was a lot of good run and play from them. But yeah, I don't know if it was nerves or if it was just something else. But I think their biggest letdown was 100% their inability to convert. Um, I think if they had, 
I genuinely think they would have won the game. I think they were the better side. Um, it was just the scoreboard. That's all it was. Yep. I, um, I, I agree with that one. Just looking at the uh, efficiency inside 50, would you believe it? I can't believe looking at this stat, but St. Kilda were more efficient inside 50. 52.5% St. Kilda to 48.1% Richmond. I can't believe looking at that. Because you look at a number like 613 and you think, well, how the heck is that possible? And then you take a look at the number of inside 50s and it starts to make a little bit more sense. 52 inside 50s, Richmond, to 40 inside 50s for the Saints. Looking back in their round four matchup, in round four when the Saints won by, I don't know how much was it, 20, 26 points. I thought, looking at that game, coming into this one, I thought, okay, well, you know, this is probably, this could be a close-ish game if the Saints can bring the same level of intensity. Inside 50 count, if I can just find that statistic, where is it? Uh, forgive me for just losing it. I did have it. But it's, it's ah, inside 50s. Okay, Saints 38, Richmond 39. So even though the Tigers still won that count, they were less efficient inside 50, and the Saints were far more, 60.5% St. Kilda to 48.7% Richmond. So I think disposal inside 50 cost the Saints their efficiency, not just set shots on goal, but especially that. Um, I was watching the Fox game post-analysis, and they brought up the fact that six or seven times this year, the Saints have had a, I think it was, I can't remember the percentage, it was something like a scoring efficiency lower than 50% or lower than 60%. It was one of those two. But the point is that they lost six of those seven games. The only one that they won against was against Hawthorne. And like, you know, no offense, MVD, who's another co-host on this show normally, who's a Hawthorne fan, but you know, whoop-de-doo, they beat the Hawks. Like, you know, so did almost everyone else this year. Yeah, exactly. Which makes me very happy. I'm not a huge fan of Hawthorne. Um, oh, me neither. Okay. Me neither. Yeah. Hey, 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 Alistair Clarkson, whatever you, whatever you did this year to make your team suck, just keep doing it. Keep doing it. It's great. It's great entertainment for the rest of us seeing Hawthorne down that low on the ladder. Um, moving on to the next game. And I have a feeling that uh, I have a feeling that you're not so much looking forward to this one. Geelong kept Collingwood to, I believe, their lowest three-quarter time score since 1900. Now, granted, granted, I've been a bad journalist and I haven't, you know, quadruple fact-checked that fact, but I kind of don't want to because if it's false, then that means that you know. I can't use it here <laughs> as an accurate fact, and I'm going to pretend that it's an accurate fact because I really wanted to use it. One, one, seven. I'll let you um, get into this first. What went so well for Geelong? Why did they win? And why did they win by so much? Um, well, yes, I am a Collingwood supporter, so this was devastating. Um, but I, I'll happily admit that I think Geelong just came out and really just showed everyone why they're such a dominant force and have been for so many years. I think they kind of 
destroyed us in the midfield. We just could not get the ball. And it was very frustrating to watch as a Collingwood supporter. But you couldn't help but just admire how dominant they were in the midfield. You know, they were knocking, um, you know, Collingwood players off the ball. They were killing it. And then I think the danger with Geelong and their midfielders having the ball is we see how fantastic they are at delivering it into the forward 50. You know, you've got someone like Gary Abler who's so good with the ball and he always sort of makes magic with it. So I think that was ultimately the thing that really won them the game. It was they were so dominating in the midfield. And then you had someone like Paddy Dangerfield, who I think he kicked five goals. Um, And so I think having someone so dominating like that and not being shut down at all was just a testament to how they just, they really just trampled us. Um, So yeah, I think that there really wasn't anything to fault with Geelong's performance. I think that's, it's less about what they did right. It's just the fact that they did nothing wrong. Mm. And Collingwood were definitely hapless. I think we, we looked a bit dead. Um, Wasn't a lot of run and carry with the ball. Inside 50s were a bit of a joke. Um, And the formula wasn't working. And then, by this time, any sort of momentum was coming back for the Pies. The damage had been done. So I think it was just Geelong putting on a great performance. What about you? I'm going to read out some statistics. Um, this might this might hurt just a little bit, Eleni, but I'm sorry. I'm just looking at these stats and I'm kind of mind-boggled at them. Inside 50 count, 46 to 30 in favour of... 46 to 30? That is a landslide in that count. I haven't seen, in the games that I've covered this year, I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen one more lopsided than that to this point. Disposal, disposal efficiency heading into this game, they were almost evenly matched. Geelong were slightly ahead, their 2020 average, 72.1%. Collingwood, 71.9%. And yet, looking at the disposal efficiency in this matchup, 80.6% Geelong to 63.5% Collingwood. Disposal efficiency inside 50, Geelong, 56.5%. Collingwood, 33.3%. Stoppages. Collingwood won the hitouts quite comfortably, 37-19. And yet Geelong won the clearances overall, 34-21, to 21, including stoppage clearances, 22-12. to 12. So for me, that's the tail of the tape right there, is that statistic. How strong Geelong's midfield dominance was. And I'll look at the players' statistics here. You mentioned Patrick Dangerfield. Like, what an absolute superstar he is. But believe it or not, he didn't have over 20 disposals for this game, which is insane because you look at you look at the influence that he had and you just kind of assume the fact that, oh, well, he must have had at least like, you know, 25 plus disposals in this shortened format. No, he had 19. But he kicked four goals with those 19 disposals. Mitch Duncan, 30 touches. Cam Guthrie, 26. Tom Stewart, 26. Sam Managola, 23. Joe Selwood had only 18, but he kicked a goal. Looking at Collingwood, their best player, arguably for the night, Taylor Adams, 17 disposals, no goals. Adam Trelaw, 18 touches, no goals. Jordan Dugowie, 14 disposals, no goals. So I think it's more than just 
the midfield dominance. Early on in that first quarter, Geelong was so clean, so efficient, and Collingwood weren't. And it's true. Well, yeah. that, that first quarter, you guys, you know, Collingwood kicked their only goal for like the first three quarters in that first quarter. But there, was, there were two mistakes in particular that cost them in that opening quarter. The Darcy Cameron drop in the forward pocket. He takes that mark, goes back, kicks that goal. It's a game. And a few minutes later, Jordan Degoe from outside 50, trying to kick it into the Brisbane River, shanks it. That was a shank with a capital S. Goodness gracious me. I mean, that kick basically like summed up the Collingwood performance, I think. <laughs> like it had the potential. You knew that it could be done. Like it was mm. there. You knew it could be done. And then they cooked it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like you said, the efficiency, that was what it was for Geelong. It was just, um, it was like pure, clean football. Um, like as a Collingwood fan, it was heartbreaking. But, <laughs> you know, w- watching it, you could, it was just such a dominating performance. And it wasn't that, you know, like they had the ball, but then it was what they were doing with the ball that was so impressive. Um, and so I think I, I had definitely ridden off Geelong um, from this final series, but after a performance like that, I think a lot of people are sort of watching them now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens um, in this upcoming round with what Geelong put out. Now, I know that um, I didn't, you know, we didn't plan for this, but let's make this an impromptu thing. What do you think the Saints and the Magpies, first off, do you think that they can challenge for the flag next year, those two teams? Do you think the Saints can challenge for the flag? Do you think Collingwood can challenge for the flag? Um, I think, I think both teams, it'll be interesting because I think I genuinely think they could go either way. Obviously, St Kilda, um, you know, making finals is a fantastic thing for them. And I think now it's always that tricky thing where teams, when they break into the finals, it's are they going to continue with that success and ride the success and build on it? Or are they sort of going to revert back to being um, a lower tier team? Um, I do see a lot of potential in St Kilda. Uh, And, you know, like we said, even though they lost to Richmond, I think they did put in a good performance and hopefully you know, over the off-season, you know, building up their squad again, maturing a little bit, working together more, could make them a really formidable team next season. So I think that they actually could be really big contenders next season going in um, to the 2021 season. As for Collingwood, um, I I really don't know. We have such a strong list um, and we've had a consistent list for years now. So I think that uh, it's... It's hard to say because obviously we've had success, haven't really been able to capitalise on losing that grand final to West Coast a couple of years ago. Uh, so I, I don't know if we've hit like a peak or a plateau in terms of what Collingwood can put out um, because, you know, we haven't really had many changes to our, our sort of list, that many changes. We've obviously got a few younger players we brought in. Um, so in terms of challenging for the actual premiership I think even though I had to say it looking at St Kilda and Collingwood I would probably think St Kilda have um the greater avenue for improvement um but I hope my pies can can challenge again I just I don't know because uh we barely made finals this year as is uh and if you're not winning games throughout the season then it's hard to imagine 
going into a final series and dominating more consistent teams. And I think that's something we struggle with is consistency. So, yeah, I'm not sure. What about you? What are your thoughts? In, in Collingwood's defense, right, and I can't believe I'm saying this, I can't believe I'm defending Collingwood, but in Collingwood's defense, it's, it's, it's kind of a defense and kind of attacking them at the same time. They aren't going to have an, uh, a season off-field like they had in 2020, right, with all those distractions, just count, like the Jordan Degoe allegations, still side-bottom, getting suspended for his shenanigans, Eddie Maguire putting his foot in it repeatedly, 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 just constant distraction after distraction after distraction. And of course, Heretia Lumumba, the former Collingwood premiership player, um, who is now suing uh, both Collingwood and the AFL. Um, best wishes to him personally and that's not that's not a thing against Collingwood it's just you know a thing against racism I hope he goes well with his court case um nevertheless I don't think you have an offseason as distracting as that now I don't know if it distracted the players but it couldn't have helped with their focus and preparation that being said though Adam Trelaw I don't know what's happening with him because I just had a quick google Adam Trelaw, Gold Coast, because I saw that there were potential ties between him and going to the Suns. And I saw conflicting articles, articles from a few days ago saying, oh, the Suns have given up, basically given up chasing him. You know, Trelaw is saying, no, I'm staying. And then an article from Fox Sports, like yesterday, saying, well, actually, he's digging his heels in, or he's going to dig his heels in with Con. And so I don't know what's happening with him. If he leaves, that is a massive blow for you guys. But it's more so this. If you guys can get a good run with injuries, then yeah, sure, you can challenge. But your premiership window is going to close at some point. And so I think next year is the year that you guys have to attack this with all your might. The Saints, meanwhile, they're young. They've got years and years and years to get this right. And then probably followed by another two decades of futility because that's the same killed away. But nevertheless, I think next year, looking at the Saints list, they have such a great balance of young talent and older talent, right? All of their Jacks, Jack Noons, Jack Steele, all their Joshes, Josh Battle, like all of their players, first letter J, and even players with names who don't start with the letter J, right? They are a fantastic football team. And I'm really looking forward to seeing them. And because of their young list and because their list is normally or has been healthier the last couple of years than Collingwood, I think, I'm not sure about the stat, but I'm just guessing. I think I'm going to say the Saints, but I wouldn't count Collingwood out because Collingwood is just a, a team full of absolute champions. Question is, can they become a champion team? That's the ultimate question. Moving on to the prelim finals. Now, one of these four teams will be the champion team this year. Let's discuss this. Four pre, uh, two prelims, four teams, one shot at glory. I'm looking forward to this. I'm so excited for this first game and for the second game too. Port Adelaide versus Richmond at the Adelaide Oval tonight. Rematch of round 11, one of the games of the year where Port Adelaide prevailed by 21 points in a great game of football. The margin did not do that game justice. It was awesome. Eleni, who do you think is going to win 
by how much and why? Can the power go through to their first grand final in uh, th th 13 years or will the Tigers roar once again? Um, well, it's, it's interesting. I think out of the two prelims coming up, this is the one that I think will actually, not a blowout, obviously. Prelims are never blowouts. But I think that Port will get on top of the Tigers here. Um, and I think part of that is having looked, having a look at the Tigers' finals run this year. Um, they haven't really done anything that's really blown me away. I haven't really seen them as a really convincing side, like we spoke about before. And I do think that if St Kilda had um, kicked straight, they actually would have won that game and would be in this match today. So I think that, for me, this one's pretty simple. I, I really just think Port are the better side in all aspects of the game. And I think, um, again, bringing up the Tigers and their lack of discipline, I think that's really going to be an mm. issue in this game because Port are a very disciplined side. Uh, and I think that there's... That, that's really it. This one's quite short and simple for me. I just think the Port are going to be the better team on the night. So I, I'm tipping them to win by like at least three goals. Um, and that's, yeah, I, there's nothing in particular for me. I just think that all across the board, I think Port, you know, they, they hold onto the ball, but they can go quick. And I think that we've seen, especially against St Kilda, I noticed there was a lot of times the lack of discipline from the Tigers really showed. There was like, you know, a lack of urgency to man up. Um, and that, I don't know if that's an arrogance from the Tigers or something like that. Uh, but I think Port will make them punish. I can't see them feeling nervous. I think they've definitely proven people wrong um, by coming out and putting on a good performance so far. So I, I think that they're just going to get on top of them and win by at least three goals. That's my, that's my tip for, for that wow. game. Wow, very interesting. A comfortable Port Adelaide victory. I don't think it will be as comfortable. Personally, I don't think it will be as uh, as big of a victory for Port. I still think Port are going to win. But I'm just looking at this AFL article published today about the plays that Richmond were missing and missing from their midfield back in round 11, right? Who were in the center bounce uh, set up for the Tigers back in round 11 versus last week? Dion Prestia, Shane Edwards, Toby Nankervis, Trent Conchin, Jack Graham, as well as defenders David Asprey and Batchahuli. That is a fantastic... Just those players alone, if you wanted to start a team from scratch and for some reason could only have uh, six or seven players in said team, to start off with, you would want these players on that list, right? You would want these players on that list and they would have a good shot at winning the premiership without anyone else there. They are that good for me personally, I think. Too much of the weight was left to the likes of inexperienced players like Shy Bolton and Jack Ross and Josh Caddy and way too much to Dustin Martin as well. And I don't know Dustin Martin's like a, a he's a football he's a footballing freak, right? He can do anything with the football. He's incredible, right? It's incredible that he hasn't gotten leather poisoning yet, honestly. But you compare that to last week 
you look at the names in there, Shane Edwards, Trent Koch, and Dion Prestia, they're just awesome, awesome, awesome names. I think that will, as the AFL article puts it, will have Ken Hinckley worried. But Port Adelaide haven't been the best team in the competition this year for no reason at all. And I think it's because out of all of the teams in the competition, they have the best balance between young and old, right? Butters, Dersma, mixed in there with Robbie Gray, Charlie Dixon throwing his raid around. Just as examples, they are the most balanced team in the competition and they look awesome when they are on. If this game was in Victoria or if this game was in Queensland, I would be very, very tempted to say Richmond. But the main, um, uh, the, the other element is the, no offense, feral Adelaide crowd. For Port Adelaide and Adelaide home games, feral crowd. And I'm not knocking them. I would be feral too if my Bombers ever make a prelim final again. I would absolutely be feral. But that plays like an extra player or two in your team, which is why I'm tipping the power to win. And I think Port Adelaide are going to win an epic. I think it's going to be close. I'm tipping Richmond to be up late in the game and then with like a minute or two to go, Port to get a couple of late goals and win by eight points in one of the best prelim finals of the century thus far. I think it's going to be a great game. The whole century. Wow, you have the whole you have high century. High the whole century. And that's saying a lot because yeah. there's been a lot of great prelim final matches. But unlike 2014, when Port lost to Hawthorne by three points, Port Adelaide will be on the right side of this one and advance to their first grand final since 2007. Who will they play? Will they be playing? Or will the Tigers be playing? The Lions or the Cats? Eleni, who do you think? Saturday night, Saturday night football, Brisbane v Geelong at the Gabba. Who do you think is going to win that one? Um, well, for, this, for me, this one's the title of the two, I think. Uh, I think before the Geelong-Collingwood game, I just had complete confidence in, in Brisbane going in. But you can't discredit that performance from Geelong. So I think it ultimately just depends on what Geelong shows up on the night. Because I think Brisbane have been consistent. Again, it's that whole thing where, you know, they finished so high on the ladder for a reason. It's because they've been so consistent in their performance. Um, so I think that this match will be won or lost by Geelong's performance. You know, we said, mm. as you pointed out with the stats, they were so efficient with the ball against Collingwood. And if they do that again, I think you can't sort of, there's no matter what team, you can't really fight against uh, a midfield like Ablett or um, any of their other stars having the ball and delivering it so well into the 50. But saying that, you know, we've got fantastic dynamic players like Charlie Cameron for the Brisbane Lions, who I think if they... Have a, have a big match. They're, you know, they're, they're game changers. Uh, so I think this one is going to be really close. I think uh, Geelong, it's theirs to lose, really, I think, given the performance they put in against Collingwood, even though, you know, Brisbane are sort of going in the more dominant side throughout the season. Uh, so I'm tipping Brisbane to win uh, and by three points. 
I think it's going to be an absolute nail biter, potentially like a goal after the siren or, you know, like a, a true grit sort of game. Um, but I just think that I, maybe it's wishful thinking, but I, you know, I think that Brisbane have put in such, such a great season and I hope that they can hold on, but it, it really could go either way. I'm not, you know, for all we know, Geelong could put in another performance against Collingwood and it could be a 40 point win, but I don't think Brisbane will let that happen. I, I think they're going to win by less than a goal. That would be, can you imagine a goal after the siren? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine if it came from like a controversial umpiring decision? Like, whoo. That would be pretty on point from this season. It would be like a holding the ball call or like oh, a deliberate. Absolutely. Especially, like, yeah. It could be as well. Like, a, you remember Luke Shuey in 2017 against Port Adelaide in the elimination final when he ducked his knees a little bit and the tackle slipped high enough. I was like, oh, high free kick. And Tom Jonas was like, no, nah, come on. He ducked, he ducked. That, for me, if this happens again, oh, my goodness, watch for the comments on Facebook. They will come flying. Looking at the game between these two teams back in round six in Sydney, right, back when Victoria went back into lockdown. Looking at that third quarter, heading into halftime, Brisbane were 10 points up. And in that third quarter, Geelong kicked 45 points to Brisbane one. Oh my God, that is, that is, a that is, that is, that is, that is what it, I can't even say what it is. That is just unbelievable. And looking at the statistics again for the individual players, you see once again, Tom, uh, Tom Dangerfield, Patrick Dangerfield, Joe Selwood, Sam Menegola at the top of the list in terms of disposals. Lockie Neal had 26, Jared Lyons had 20, and the rest of Brisbane's midfield was nowhere to be seen. That has to change, and that is going to change. I think the likes of Robertson and Neal, they're not going to allow for their colours as a midfield to be lowered again like it was against Geelong when Geelong won the clearances, 34 to 27. But looking at disposal uh, efficiency, right? Brisbane actually won, believe it or not. They won the inside 50 count that game, 43 to 38, which blows my mind. Because, you know, when you lose by 27 points, you're not expecting to, <laughs> to win the inside 50 count. But looking at this, the efficiency inside 50 for that game, Geelong, 60.5%. Brisbane, 34.9%. 0.9%. That is terrible. That is, I have never seen a disposal efficiency inside 50 that low before. And I'm just double checking. I want to see conversely what Brisbane's disposal efficiency inside 50 is against Richmond because they were awesome in that game going inside 50. I just want to see disposal efficiency inside 50. They were much better at 46.7%. So I think for me, you said that it's going to be about Geelong's performance. I think the opposite. I think it's going to be about Brisbane's performance. 
because if Brisbane can bring the pressure, it's not just, I'm also looking at the, it's not just the pressure, right? Inside 50 disposals, right? You're only as good as your defense, I think, inside 50. If your forward line can defend, if your back line can defend and cause enough turnovers, you're going to eventually be able to rebound and score. Geelong, right? We've mentioned that game, 60 plus, 60, around 60% disposal efficiency inside 50 back in round six. In the qualifying final against Richmond, Richmond only had 28.6%. So if Brisbane can bring that pressure again, I think Geelong's going to be in a lot of trouble because you mentioned all the great players for Geelong. Don't forget Brisbane have an awesome, awesome midfield as well. So for me, it's interesting. You think it's going to be based on how well Geelong perform. I think it's going to be based on how well Brisbane's going to perform. Ultimately, the quality of this game, football's like a tango. You need two partners to, to dance with. And I think both teams are going to bring their tap dancing shoes if people tango in tap dancing shoes. Do they? I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, I've never tangoed. Wrong person. Yeah, <laughs> no, me, me, I have absolutely no idea. If anybody listening to this tangos or tap dances, feel free to correct me in the comments section. I'm sure that you will. So, very interesting. I think Brisbane's going to win by two goals. I still think it's going to be a great game, but just not as close as the game before. But who knows? Could come down to a controversial decision, as you said. Which out of these, which out of these two games are you most looking forward to? Um, I think just because I'm, I'm sort of backing Brisbane at this point to to take the flag like I want them to win. So I think I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, but I, I'm intrigued by the Port Tigers game just because I think that uh, that's the one that I have a more clear idea about who's going to win. Like I do think Port will win. So I'm, I'm interested to sort of see if I'm proven wrong in a way. Whereas the Brisbane-Geelong game, I'm going in having really no idea what's going to go on, uh, which is exciting, of course. Uh, but I think I'm more excited for the Port versus Tigers, just to see if see if Port Adelaide can really back themselves up. And then if they make that grand final, well, then it's definitely theirs to lose, that's for sure. I like it. I like it. And if they do make that grand final, then it'll be either a rematch of 2004 or 2007. And I definitely know. <laughs> I haven't talked to them. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure I know which grand final they would want it to be a repeat of. <laughs> Definitely don't want it to be a repeat of 2007, please. And as a neutral supporter, football gods, if you are listening, I pray to you that it will not be yet another one-sided grand final. We can't take another one-sided grand final after last year's debacle. Please, please, please make it a close one at least. Interestingly enough, over the course of the 20, 2010s, right, you had the 2010 drawn grand final. Forget about the replay. No offense, but forget about the replay. In terms of closeness, in terms of closeness, in terms of closeness, <laughs> in terms of closeness, right? You had the 2010 drawn grand final, the 2012 thriller. Forget about 2014. 2016, you had the dogs winning a classic. 2018, you had West Coast. Four out of the five even years had fantastic grand finals. While the twenty, while the Odd years, the closest grand final you had was 2013. All of them winning by 15 points, but really they, it was more comfortable than that. So this is an, an even year, a uh, year after 
Anandia had a blowout grand final. So I'm hoping the trend will continue. Who knows? I like that. That's that's an interesting trend. I I always love little trends like that. I find mm. them so funny and fascinating. So you saying that, that's really given me a whole newfound perspective on this this grand final. Now now that you've said that, I think it's gonna be a banger. You solidified it for me. It has to be. It has to it has to be. It's fate. You know it's you know it's also fate. It's really interesting. Talk about trend. Hawthorne in 2013, the last minor premiers to actually win the premiership in the same season. Oh, wow. That is, that is also interesting. It, isn't that funny? That really is a testament to how unpredictable finals can be. It's basically oh, its own season, really. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and that's why, I mean, that's why Geelong are sort of a dark horse because I think we've seen them time and time again really stand up in finals and we're seeing it again this final season. Well, now... Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting, but I think you're right. I think regardless of which of the two, four teams makes the grand final, I really do think it's going to be a cracking finale to this season. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. The Gabba on the 24th of October. I'm just so excited for that game. And people are saying like, oh, I won't watch it because, you know, it's at the Gabba, it's at a terrible ground, it's, you know, terrible, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's at night, I'm not going to watch it. It's like, no, do you know what? I'm going to watch it because I'm going to support my favorite sporting league in its toughest ever year. That's why I'm going to watch it, right? I don't care that it's not in Victoria. Well, I mean, I care a little bit. Like as a Victorian, it still hurts. But still, I'm just happy that it's being played. And thank you. Palaszczuk and thank you Queensland for saving the football season and if any Western Australians or South Australians are listening who are salty that it's not at Optus Stadium at the Adelaide Oval I have one message for you get over it get over it anyways it's never gonna happen no I don't know it could happen I'm not sure but I'm just glad that the football season is being played thank you Eleni for joining me for this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Um, normally, I would wish uh, the co-host a um, that their team performs well uh, this coming weekend, but um, uh, instead, I'm going to say good luck tipping. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yes, the, the ship has sailed for the pies. Um, and I appreciate that. I wish I could extend the branch as well and say good luck for your team, but we're both in the same boat now. It's kind of nice. It means we can just sit back, relax, and enjoy what are sure to be two cracking games of football. Thank you for having me on. No problem. No problem. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's pressureless watching. It's pressureless, pressureless enjoyment of football, which I am looking forward to. But at the same time, it would be nice if Essendon could win it bloody final anyways thank you dear listener for listening to yet another episode of the through the banner podcast my name is Catherine mcleod and until next week adieu